This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're joined in the studio by Dr. John King, Chancellor of the SUNY System, who is with us to discuss New York's public colleges and universities, including what the governor's budget proposal could mean for them. Welcome back to The Capitol Press Room, Chancellor. Thanks so much. Excited to be here. So heading into this year's budget process, uh, which covers the fiscal year starting in April, how would you describe the financial conditions of the SUNY system, especially in light of last year's budget, which included an additional $163 million uh, in operating aid from the state? Yeah, well, look, last year was uh, phenomenal, uh, the largest operating aid increase for SUNY in 20-plus years. Uh, we were able to provide every one of our state-operated campuses with a double-digit percentage increase in state support. We were able to invest $10 million in mental health services across the system, $10 million in supports for students with disabilities, $10 million in internships, and $10 million in expanding research. Uh, we also got a transformation fund in last year's budget that's allowing us to scale up to 25 campuses a program called ASAP, or ACE, which was developed at CUNY and has shown the ability to help double completion rates in community college. So lots of important investments across the system, significant investment in capital, an endowment matching fund that helped us secure uh, already a $500 million gift for Stony Brook, the largest uh, unrestricted gift in public higher ed. And now we are uh, going into this budget process very excited also that this year we had the first enrollment increase that we've seen in a decade. So we really want to make the case that uh, SUNY's on the move, and we look forward to working with the governor and legislature going forward. They were very generous last year. We framed a lot of the spending commitments in the current year budget as investments just now, and obviously capital represents an investment. But are a lot of those expenditures really just one-year operating costs? Are there long-term benefits from some of the money that the state was investing, as you said? Yeah, the great news that $163 million is recurring. And so we were able to expand mental health staff, more uh, mental health service providers on campuses. We were able to commit to expanding supports for students with disabilities, meaning academic supports, staff who are working with students and faculty to help ensure that students with disabilities are successful. Uh, so the, the fact that the investment was an investment for the long term, not just a one shot, really made a difference in the, in the kinds of choices our campuses were able to make. And you mentioned that this is recurring money. So this is part of the governor's proposal this year. In fact, she's what going slightly above it with another $100 million in her proposal? So it's another $54, 54? Million in operating support above the 163 that we got last year. Okay. Uh, actually, as part of the budget agreement last year, uh, the governor and, and our champions in the legislature agreed to 163 last year, 54 this year in the state financial plan, and another 54 next year, uh, which will be hugely helpful. Okay, so my number comes from, uh, they're also including uh, their that $100 million number includes uh, university employee fringe benefits, uh, as well as some other things to actually get up to 100. But if I get down to it, the recurring general operating support, as you said, $54 million. Uh, coming back to the endowment idea, so I read in a press release that uh, Stony Brook had secured a $500 million investment, but the state 
was not actually putting up $250 million. It's not a one-to-two match as it was originally billed. Can you explain what's happening there? It looks like the state's only ponying up about $100 million for the first like $200 million. What's What's the math there? Well, it's really just the structure of the gift over time okay. and making sure that there's access to the endowment funds for all four of the university centers. So the exact amount of the state match will depend on uh, the timing of the gift and also what level of support is goes to the other university centers from that original endowment pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bottom line is uh, the endowment matching fund will unlock more than a billion dollars in philanthropy to support our campuses. But in terms of the Stony Brook example, at the end of the day, will Stony Brook end up getting $250 million from the state to represent that one to two match of the $500 million commitment? Uh, they'll probably get at least 200 uh, Whether or not they get 250 will depend on how much of that endowment matching fund is accessed by the other university centers over the, over the next couple of years. So it's important that rich people read the fine print when they're making their donations over the next couple of years to SUNY Systems. Well, we, we'd like to say it's important that people urgently give to each of the university centers to make sure they maximize how much of that uh, matching fund they can take advantage of. So earlier you mentioned that the SUNY system in this current year is enjoying a bump up in in enrollment. I believe it's uh, more than 4% for the freshman class. Can you expand on where the growth is happening? And do you have a sense of why the numbers ticked up for the school year? You know, the great news is the growth happened across all sectors. So community colleges saw an increase. Our ag and tech campuses saw the largest increase. Hmm. And our four-year campus, our state-operated campuses, saw a significant increase as well. So uh, we're excited about that. Uh, You know, I think there's a mix of factors. Uh, You know, one of the things we did last year was we sent letters home to every high school graduate outside of New York City, telling them there's a place for them at SUNY at one of our community colleges. Uh, We think that was helpful. Uh, We've now done a couple of years of free application weeks, which has really driven an increase in applications to our campuses. We think that was helpful. Uh, We've started something called cascading admissions, Mm -hmm. where if you don't get into your first choice school, uh, we'll reach out to you affirmatively and say you didn't get in there. But Here's another campus. You didn't get into Geneseo, but here's another campus uh, at Oswego or at Oneonta where there might be a great opportunity for you. And so that cascading admissions we think also was helpful. Uh, But, you know, we're going to continue to work at it. Uh, One of the key things we've got to do is uh, really reach out to adult learners. You know, in the system as a whole, we serve about 1.4 million students a year. About 400,000, 370,000 are uh, students in degree programs, but about a million students are in uh, workforce development programs, short-term programs, where they're earning credits, but they're not necessarily in a degree program. We've got to get better at converting those students to degree students. So saying to someone, yeah, you've completed this one-year certificate that's going to get you that first job in the semiconductor industry, maybe at Micron. Mm -hmm. But now there's an opportunity to come back to Onondaga Community College, get your associates, an opportunity then when you want to move up at work to go to Empire or to SUNY Poly and get that next degree. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining the Capitol Press Room. We're speaking with SUNY Chancellor John King. Moving forward on the enrollment side, what is the growth that you would like to see on a year-to-year basis? Is 4% in the freshman class the benchmark that you've set for yourself? Is there some other number that you think is both realistic and higher? 
Look, we're you know we were very pleased to see that the over four percent growth in enrollment. Uh, we'd love to sustain that mm -hmm. over time, but that's the work that we're engaged in. And as you know, we you know we continue to roll out new initiatives to try to make sure that we're reaching every New York student. So this year, for the first time, we sent letters home to every New York City student. A welcome letter uh, describing the range of options available to you're going to love upstate New York. Yeah, well, we want them to know it goes beyond Westchester County. Exactly. If you're really passionate about the environment, maybe our environmental science and forestry college in Syracuse is the right place for you. You can meet some weird kids there. If you're excited about physics, maybe Geneseo is the right place for you. If you're really passionate about music, maybe SUNY Potsdam is the right place for you. But we want students to know that those options are there. So we're going to keep working hard to make sure that every New York student knows there's a place for them at SUNY and that every New York family knows that SUNY provides high-quality degrees that are affordable. You're not really trying to trick kids from the five boroughs into ending up at Potsdam, though, right? I mean, they what might a culture have a, shock They, that could they be. might have a great experience. Okay, all right. Um, what does the increase in students mean for the revenue picture? Because obviously there's that balance of state aid and, and revenue. Has that been a meaningful increase. I'm trying to understand the math of 4% and getting that extra money from their pockets, or is this a student population that is maybe more reliant on, say, the Excelsior Scholarship and federal grants and stuff, and maybe it's not necessarily ending up uh, with uh, the, the full money that you'd hope? Yeah, look, the good news is enrollment going up is good for the financial picture of the SUNY system as a whole. I'd say alongside enrollment is the question of state support. Uh, we're excited that the governor included $54 million uh, in her executive budget, uh, and uh, we are clear that over time we're going to need significant state investment to help us keep up with growing expenses. Um, the other factor in the sort of financial mix is tuition, and uh, SUNY's tuition is extraordinarily affordable, just over $7,000. Uh, it's more affordable than many of our neighboring state peers, uh, so that commitment to affordability has to be matched by a commitment to continued investment in the SUNY system if we're going to be financially sustainable. But to say 4% growth year to year, does that allow you to grow out of this hole? Does that not create enough revenue that you don't necessarily need a major injection from the state or need to increase the actual cost of tuition? Look, it helps, but you it's know this, this, this was a break with a 10-year pattern. We had 10 years of declining enrollment. This year was the first year enrollment was up. So uh, it helps, but we're going to need continued state investment. So thinking about the investment that we're talking about right now, the $54 million uh, increase in uh, recurring general operating support, what is the number you would like to see from the governor or from the legislature when they finally get their hands on this budget? Well, there are some other places where we'd love help from the legislature as the budget process moves forward. Certainly, um, you know, we negotiated a really strong contract with UUP, uh, well-deserved raises for faculty, uh, but that's going to cost us about $86 million this year. So we'd love help covering uh, those costs of the new UUP contract. Uh, we certainly would love to see an investment in healthcare workforce. One of the challenges in the state is we have a, a significant nursing shortage. The governor committed in her state of the, her first state of the state 
to a 20% increase in the size of the healthcare workforce. We think we can help get there, but we need investment in development of the programs that will help us get there, in development of simulation labs, for example, where nurses can train in simulated settings. Uh, so that's another place where we'd love to see additional investment. And then on the capital side, the governor included $650 million for capital. It's very helpful. But we have a $7 billion capital backlog, and we want to lead the way on the move to net zero. And in order to do that, we've got to make investments in moving our campuses towards renewable energy. That's going to take a, a lot of dollars. And so uh, we're hopeful that we can see that capital number uh, move up. Is there any merit to the idea that the state should include some sort of fund specifically targeting the schools that are in financial distress right now? Well, look, you know, alongside investment has to come responsible fiscal stewardship. And we can't have faculty teaching to empty classrooms. And so every campus, whatever their financial picture, should be looking at their programs and asking, is this a program where there's real student demand and real community need? And when you have a major, for example, that has two students in it, that's not something that can be supported long term. And so you've either got to find a way to increase student interest and demand, or you've got to look at that program and say, is this really something we should continue doing? And after a quick break, we'll continue discussing New York's public colleges and universities, as well as the governor's higher education budget proposal with SUNY Chancellor John King. business agency or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team. This is WCNY's The Capital Press Room, and we're continuing our conversation with SUNY Chancellor John King. And before the break, Chancellor King was making the argument that two kids in a major isn't enough to support the major at that institution, but theoretically, take sociology. You might have kids uh, taking sociology classes as electives or part of a general education requirement who aren't necessarily going to be sociology majors. So does eliminating the sociology major uh, limit the ability of students to get that sort of well-rounded liberal arts education, or could sociology classes continue without a major? Well, you need the diverse set of faculty. I'm really glad you asked that question. Okay. It's really important. We have general education requirements at SUNY that require students to take courses in a range of disciplines. So even if a campus doesn't have a sociology major, they will often have multiple sociology courses that students take as part of a full liberal arts curriculum, which we deeply believe in. So we are not going to be a place where every conceivable major is offered on every campus. But as a system, we can offer literally anything a student is interested in studying. And on every campus, students are gonna get a rich liberal arts education that's gonna involve study in a range of fields. And coming back to that question from a few minutes ago though, what about that idea of a specific 
fund for the distressed colleges as they try to make it through this period, whether it is right-sizing or whether it is to try to turn things around? Is that something that you would support if the legislature said, yep, we'd like to create a fund just for, for those schools that are in need of some bridge funding? Look, we think it's a better strategy to invest in all of our state-operated campuses. They all have needs and opportunities. Every campus got a double-digit percentage increase this year. But campuses that have lost significant enrollment, take the example of SUNY Potsdam. They were once over 4,000. They're now about 2,500. But over the last decade, they didn't make adjustments in their staffing and programs and infrastructure to match being a much, much smaller campus. So now we think they can be a long-term sustainable 2,500 student campus, but they do have to make some financial choices that are difficult but important to make them sustainable. And the conversation about a tuition increase, is that something that is still on the table from your perspective, given what the governor is proposing, or if the legislature can come up with, say, another $50 million or $100 million in a recurring operating aid, can we put off the idea of increasing tuition again? You know, we had a long-term enrollment and financial sustainability report that was required in last year's budget that we presented to the governor and legislators on January 1st. And in that report, one of the things we lay out is our long-term trajectory. And, you know, 10 years from now, we would have a system-wide deficit of a billion dollars. There are two ways that you could address that. One is a modest annual state increases in state support. The other would be to bring our tuition closer to some of the tuition levels in our peer states and systems. But you've got to do one or the other in order to make sure that revenue keeps pace with expenses to keep up so that we can continue to offer high-quality programming in such a wide range of areas. The conversation around a tuition increase last year was, I believe, a 3% increase for most SUNY campuses. Is that what you're envisioning as this, I guess, plan B for the long-term sustainability? Yeah, that's right. Something at, at that level. Again, modest, ideally differential, where you might have a different rate of increase in the tuition at the four university centers, which are major research universities, and have a different set of expenses because they are major research universities, but they're also generating tremendous revenue for the state. Binghamton just yesterday was awarded uh, up to $160 million from the National Science Foundation to build out their battery technology research. University of Buffalo is going to be the home to the governor's new Empire AI initiative, driving advancements in AI research across New York State that will allow New York to be a major leader. So the research universities need a little bit different kind of revenue structure. So you mentioned the Empire AI announcement from the governor, which is uh, planned for the university at Buffalo. What's the role for the SUNY system more broadly? And what are the expectations for what that could mean for the Buffalo community specifically? Yeah, so it's going to be a consortium of institutions. Some of our very successful private research universities will participate like an RPI, like the non-SUNY part of Cornell. As well, the four SUNY university centers will play a major leadership role. 
University of Buffalo, Stony Brook, uh, University of Albany, and uh, Binghamton University. They'll all play a major role as, as kind of core partners in this consortium. But the facility where the computing capacity will be sited, that will be at University of Buffalo. It's a great opportunity for University of Buffalo. They have a long history in artificial intelligence. In fact, they have a major uh, National Science Foundation grant to study how AI could be used to improve educational opportunities for students with disabilities. So it's a great win for them to have that site. It also means that some of the businesses that might come out of this research are likely to locate in Buffalo. So it's a real economic development opportunity for the city of Buffalo. You outlined some of the real positives for AI in New York's future. Are there any concerns that you have about AI and the SUNY experience, whether it is kids just ripping off papers or, or things that I haven't even thought of because the Gen Z, whatever they're called these days, are just more creative than old millennials like myself? That's a really important question. We have system-wide task force on artificial intelligence that's looking at all different aspects of how AI is going to change higher education and change our society. And there are some worrisome questions. We worry a lot about deep fakes and how that might distort our political process. And UB actually has uh, faculty members who are really national experts on uh, detecting deep fakes and helping to think about some of the policies that need to be put in place to address that risk. We have faculty who are thinking about, uh, you know, how does teaching and learning need to change? How do assignments need to change? How do expectations for students need to change as students access tools like ChatGPT? So uh, this is an area that's going to affect our lives in every dimension. It's going to affect healthcare. It's going to affect advanced manufacturing. And we want to lead the way at SUNY. Well, sticking with the use of uh, technology, SUNY Empire State, which educates students uh, remotely, has experienced a significant uptick in its year-to-year enrollment with the current school year. So I'm curious if you're looking to export this model more broadly throughout the system uh, to boost enrollment at other SUNY campuses. Yeah, look, I think Empire's growth reflects that there are a lot of folks who are uh, working, who need the kind of flexibility that an online degree program offers. Uh, And also Empire's success reflects their use of something called prior learning assessment, Mm -hmm. where they're really willing to work with students to look at their transcripts from maybe a college where they started but didn't finish, to look at their workforce training that they've received. Maybe they receive certificates through their union, and then that gets counted as credits. So Empire's a really creative response to the needs of many New Yorkers. But I think more broadly, higher ed is experiencing something that really every industry has, which is people are interested in some in-person experiences. People are also interested in online experiences. You know, when, if you're a Home Depot, you don't care if people buy the hammer online or in the store, but you have to think about those different experiences. And so we have many campuses that are offering some online courses. There are certain courses that lend themselves particularly well to daily online experiences, other courses that are more hands-on that really couldn't work through an online setting. And each of our campuses is thinking about that as they respond to the expectations of Gen Z and millennials. Do you get pushback, though, from faculty who aren't interested in doing a remote class? Because it's probably not the experience that they necessarily signed up for. 
It's interesting, you know, before COVID, I think you saw on a lot of campuses more reluctance about online. But then once everyone had the experience during the COVID period of having to adapt to online, that increased the openness. But yeah, not every faculty member wants to teach an online course, and some faculties prefer teaching online and really want to teach their courses online. So there's a mix, and each of our campuses is navigating that. And finally, I want to turn to the plan to drastically shrink or, or potentially even close uh, the university hospital at Downstate in Brooklyn, the only state-run medical hospital in the five boroughs. This has been met with a lot of skepticism since getting rolled out this year, especially from state lawmakers in the area. So what's the case for this, and how do you see it playing out? SUNY Downstate is a hugely important health sciences university for the state. Uh, we have a medical school, a nursing school, a fantastic uh, midwifery program, trained folks for public health roles. The workforce that graduates from SUNY Downstate is diverse and stays in New York. There are other medical schools in New York where a lot of the graduates leave. Our SUNY Downstate graduates stay in New York. So hugely important institution. The hospital that is affiliated with SUNY Downstate has multiple buildings. That hospital is struggling financially, losing about $100 million a year, even after all of the additional state support uh, that we receive because we serve a very low income population of patients. And one of the buildings, the University Hospital building, is in disrepair and is really at risk of catastrophic failure. So we've put forward a strategy that we developed with the governor and her team that would invest $300 million in SUNY Downstate, allowing us to build a new outpatient facility for urgent care, ambulatory surgery, primary care that would also provide space for an academic and student support center for the Health Sciences University and house an institute on health disparities. We then would move some of the inpatient services that are provided in the current building across the street to Kings County Hospital. It's a city hospital that has space that would become a SUNY Downstate wing of Kings County. Same doctor, same staff from SUNY Downstate, but in a better building that will allow them to provide quality services. We'll work with our other partners in the area to make sure every inpatient service we currently provide is sustained. And because of this new building, we'll be able to add additional outpatient services. So more services for the community because of the governor's investment. And in the interim, while we make this transition, the governor is willing to help us cover the deficits this year and next year. So that, that's a tremendous investment, the largest investment SUNY Downstate has seen in decades, thanks to Governor Hochul's leadership. We're working with the community and staff to talk through the issues the vast majority of staff will continue to have roles at SUNY Downstate Wing of Kings County or whether one of our other SUNY Downstate hospital locations. But it will be a difficult transition, and we'll have to work with every employee to make sure they find the right place. You mentioned the investment from the governor. If the legislature was to come and dig into its pockets and say, we've got X number of dollars for you in a top of what the governor is proposing, could the status quo be maintained in some way? Is there a dollar amount that could make that happen? Unfortunately, no, for, for two reasons. One, to replace the building would be a 3 or $4 billion investment. And I just think in the state's current financial picture, that's not possible. So we have to do something 
to get to a sustainable, uh, viable facility. That's job one. Two, we've got to address this operating deficit. And part of what we'll achieve by moving to the SUNY Downstate wing of Kings County is some shared services with Kings County that will allow us to get closer to sustainability. So additional resources, certainly always welcome. Uh, we put them to use, expanding services for the community. Uh, but the status quo really isn't uh, tenable. We'll run out of cash by the summer if we don't have the operating support to cover the deficit. Well, we've been speaking with SUNY Chancellor John King. Chancellor King, thanks so much for visiting us in the studio. Thanks for the opportunity. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capital Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.